Bibles with you tonight, would you open them please to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16, verse 19. On Sunday night, we're in a sermon series entitled, Hope, Our Help for the Hurting. Hope and Help for the Hurting. We live in a world where people are hurting. Hurts have many different names. They come in many different sizes and shapes and slants. But hurt is hurt. And tonight, some of you are hurting. If you're not hurting, don't you fret. Your time will come. And what we're looking at in this sermon series is some of the specific hurts of life and how the answer is found in the Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. How the answer is found in the Holy Bible, the written word. And by the way, if you love Jesus, you'll love the Bible. And if you love the Bible, you'll love Jesus. They're the flip side of the same coin. You can't say I love one and I don't like the other. Or I like the other, but I I don't want this one. They go together. And tonight we're looking at hope and help for those who have sinned. Judges 16, verse 19. And Delilah made Samson sleep upon her knees. And she called for a man, and she called for him to shave off the seven locks of Samson's hair that was on his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. When it comes to sin, we are prone to overestimate God's patience toward it. When it comes to sin, we have a tendency to underestimate the tragic consequences of it. That is true of you, it is true of me, it was true of Samson. Samson never realized that sin is like a boomerang. You can throw it in pleasure, but it will return to you in pain, great pain. Samson never believed that sin is like a fire. You can play with it and play with it and play with it, but one day it is going to burn you, and severely will be the burn. Samson never figured out that sin is like jumping off a ten-story building. The ride downward is fun. But the landing is shattering, very shattering. Whatever happiness you get out of sin, you will get tenfold sadness in return. Tonight we're going to just briefly look at the story of Samson, a story that most of you are well versed in. The story of Samson is a very sad story. It's a very shocking story. It's a very sorrowful story. But let's look at some details so you'll kind of get a feel for who he was. Samson was the firstborn and the onlyborn 
of a childless couple who desperately wanted a son. They prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And when we pray, God pays attention. Call upon the Lord and He will answer you. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This was a praying couple and they wanted a baby. They wanted a boy. They wanted a son to carry on the family name, the legacy. And God in His grace and mercy gave them a son. His name would be Samson. And he would be set apart as a Nazareth. What is a Nazareth, Pastor? The word Nazareth means someone who has been selected by God. Most Nazareths were men who took vows for a short period of time that they would sanctify themselves for God's service. Samson was a Nazareth for life. All of his days he would be committed to sanctifying himself to serve God for the plan and purpose that God had for his life. To be a Nazareth meant three things. Number one, you could never cut your hair. Your hair was never to be touched by a razor or by clippers. Your hair was never cut. Secondly, you could never touch anything dead. You could not touch the carcass of a dead animal. You could not touch the body of a dead person. Thirdly, you could not drink alcohol. No alcoholic beverage could ever touch your lips, much less go inside of your stomach. These were outward sanctifications, admittedly. But they were to be a reflection of an inward sanctification that you belong to God. God had a plan and purpose for your life, and you were preparing yourself to fulfill it. As I said earlier, most of these Nazareth vows, most of these things that I just mentioned to you were only for a short period of time. But for Samson, it was to be all of his life. Samson also had supernatural strength. He was the first superman, if you will. The Bible says he killed Philistines, the enemies of the Israelites, by himself, by the thousands. And remember, they didn't have guns in that day. They didn't have hand grenades in that day. All of the fighting was close, man to man. And Samson couldn't be beaten. He killed a mighty lion with his bare hands, the king of the beast. He slayed with his own hands. He tore down the massive gates of a Philistine city. Just shook them. Picked them up and threw them away. When he was tied to some pillars in the Philistine stadium or worship temple, the Bible says he pulled those pillars down and brought the entire stadium down with it. I'm telling you, he was a man of supernatural strength. You say, Pastor, do you think he had a lot of big muscles on him? <laughs> I don't think you would have looked at him and thought he had that kind of strength, because the strength came from God. It didn't come from his muscles. 
He was truly chosen of God. Samson had potential written all over him. He was already being put in the Hall of Fame. This was God's man. He's going to deliver us from the Philistines. He's going to restore worship to the true and the living God. He's going to bring us back to greatness. He's going to bring the glory of God back. And he would have. Except for one word that has three letters. S-I-N. Sin. Samson allowed sin to get into his life. It started small, as all sin does. But sin is like a snowball going downhill. If you don't do something in the early stages, it just keeps getting what? Bigger and bigger and bigger as faster and faster it goes down the hill. In Judges 14, verses 8 and 9, I want you to notice what he did. Now, you may not think it's a big deal. People who sin never do think sin is a big deal. But this is a big deal. Notice in Judges 14, verses 8 and 9. After a time, he returned to take her. This is speaking of Samson. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey that were in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands and went on eating. Are you listening to what he did? He took therein in his hands and went on eating and came to his father and mother and he gave them and they eat as well. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the what? The carcass of the lion. Now remember, he was a Nazareth. Remember what he sanctified himself to be and to do? He said, I will never touch the, the body or the carcass of a dead animal or person. And yet he does, does this. And I'm sure he justified it. I'm sure he said, listen, that's, that's good honey. And I'm going to take some home and share it with mom and dad. But that's what he did. And then if you look at verse 10, we see that he probably did something else. Although it's not overtly stated, I think it's subtly hinted. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson made there a feast. For so used the young men to do. Pay attention to that phrase, so used the young men to do. Samson is getting ready to marry a Philistine girl. You say, Pastor, I thought the believers are only supposed to marry believers. You're exactly right. But he chose to disobey the word of God. He's an Israelite. He's a man of God. He's chosen a Philistine, a pagan who is not a woman of God. He has fallen in love with her. He is now entering into a relationship with her called marriage. And in that day, the Philistines would have a huge banquet, a huge party for those that were getting married. There's no Israelites at this party, this feast, just Philistines. 
And it says here, he did as the custom was. The custom in that day is whenever you had a marriage feast, if you ever had a marriage banquet, you also did something else. You know what it was? Drank. And while the Bible doesn't specifically say that, I believe it's implying by the way it's shaping the words that Samson, a Nazareth, who said, I will never put alcohol to my lips, much less drink it, consumed alcoholic beverage at this feast, at this banquet, and again broke a vow that he had made to God. You say, Pastor, listen, it's a special celebration. Why are you so hard on him? Maybe he didn't get drunk. That's not the point. He was told not to touch the carcass of a dead animal or the body of a dead person. He was told never to allow alcohol to touch his lips. And then in Judges 16, verse 19, that we just read when we began, we find that he then violates the third of the, of the sacred vows that he took as a Nazareth. It says that he told Delilah the secret of his strength. And while he slept, she did what? Because of what he told her. She cut his hair. She cut all of his hair off his head. One little sin, take the honey out of the lion, led to another sin, drank a little alcoholic beverage perhaps, led to another sin, of again involving himself with a woman who was not a believer. She, many people believe she was probably a harlot. Engaging with her in immoral sex and then telling her the secret of his strength so she can shear his hair off his head and make him bald. How he fell. Down the snowball goes. And you know, when something heads downward, eventually it's going to do what? You're a smart crowd, tell me. If something's heading downward, eventually it's going to do what? It's going to stop. It may not be in a day or a week or a month or a year, but eventually, if you're going downward, there is a bottom. There's no bottomless pit when it comes to sin. Eventually, that sin is going to come to a climatic stop. And it did for Samson. And when it did, a lot of things happened to him. First of all, he lost his power. Samson was a strong man, I told you. He wasn't strong because he had 22-inch pythons. He wasn't strong because he had a 54-inch chest. He wasn't strong because he could bench 400 pounds or, or press this weight or that weight. He was strong because the Spirit of the living God came upon him. His strength came from God. And when he continued to sin against God, itsy-bitsy sin that became full-blown, gigantic sin, God stripped him of his spirit and God stripped him of his power. The strong man became a weak man. Sin took his power. But sin also took his profession. 
Samson was to be a sanctified vessel set apart by God for a special work. He was to defeat the Philistines, but he also had a a challenge or a charge, if you will, to be a witness to the Philistines. To show them that the God of heaven is superior to the gods of the Philistines. And so while he was defeating them, he was also to be a witness to them. But he lost his witness. He squandered it. He shattered it. How can you witness to someone if you're doing worse than they do? He lost his profession, his witness. He lost his power, his strength. He lost his potential. I told you in the beginning of this message, he had Hall of Fame written all over him. Hall of Fame. Cooperstown, New York, Canton, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio. God's Hall of Fame in heaven already had the name plaque up. Down it came. This champion for God became a bum for the Philistines. This great man for God became a mill grinder for the Philistines. Such wasted potential. Such loss of his profession of witness and faith. Such loss of power. And then maybe the greatest loss of all was he lost peace. You know, the Bible talks about a peace that passes all understanding. You can buy many things at Walmart, but there will not be a shelf with peace on it. You can get many things at a local bar, but you'll never get peace. Peace can't be made. Peace can't get bought. God gives peace. And Samson lost the peace of God. When he had his hair shorn, the Philistines captured him. They plunged his eyes out. He was blind. They hooked him up like a wild animal, a donkey, and they attached him to a grinder that he walked around in circles grinding the grain for the Philistines. They laughed at him. They mocked at him. They pointed at him. He was humiliated. He was shamed. The Bible says he wanted to die. That's how bad he felt. He just wanted to die. His nightmare never went away. 24 hour a day nightmare of shame, humiliation, embarrassment for what he did to himself, for what he did to his people, for what he did to God. Blinded, he just walks in a circle, grinding up grain. He had no peace. But you know, God is gracious and merciful, isn't he? God is gracious and God is merciful. And you know, God gave Samson another chance. Our God is a God of a second chance. 10,000 second chances. And He offers Samson a second chance. 
A blinded Samson. A humiliated, shamed, embarrassed Samson. A Samson that is no better than an animal. A donkey, a mule. Laboring for the Philistines. He offers him a second chance. And the Bible says in Judges chapter 16 verse 28, Samson takes advantage of it. And Samson calls unto the Lord. Whosoever calls upon the Lord, God will what? God will hear them. God will answer them. Samson calls to the Lord. And he says, O Lord God, O Lord God, my Lord, my God, remember me. Lord, don't forget me. Remember me again. I pray to you, strengthen me. And I pray that only one more time, God, you might restore my strength that I might avenge the Philistines for what they have done. Wow. I can almost imagine that blinded man broken down, pushing that grinder, stopping. And look, taking those blinded eyes and looking up into heaven and crying to God. I can imagine the Philistines that were watching him laughed at him and mocked at him. Maybe they, they hit him with whips, I don't know. But he said, remember me. Remember me one more time, God. And God did. And God gave him his strength back. And with that strength, he would position himself between two pillars with the help of a Philistine who didn't know what he was telling him to do. And with that strength, he would push down the structures that held that massive stadium upright. And that whole stadium would collapse. Samson, I guess, in many ways, took his own life. But he went, got right with God. And God used him. Not as great as he could have been for God. But God used him. You say, well, pastor, what about the Hall of Fame? Glad you asked that question. When we get to heaven, we'll take a tour of God's Hall of Fame, won't we? I hope you'll see your name there, by the way. Because there will be some surprises when we walk through there and see names that we thought should be there, but they're not. But names that we never thought would be there will be there. And as we tour and we look at all of these great men and women of God, many of them unknown on earth, but in heaven their names are claimed. According to Hebrews 11, verse 32, we'll find Samson there. Now, why do I tell you this story? I mean, why does the Bible have this story? Just to fill the pages out? <laughs> Am I just telling you this story because I need something to preach tonight? I don't know. I'm telling you this story because maybe you have sinned. Maybe you have sinned. And maybe that sin right now is hidden. It's private. Nobody knows. And right now you're having fun. 
You're having pleasure. You're having the time of your life. Because remember, sin does bring pleasure. I'm not going to tell you sin isn't fun. It's pleasurable. For a what? A short season. And then the snowball eventually hits the bottom. And what was done in the dark comes to the light. So maybe you've sinned. I don't know what kind of sin you've done. You do. And maybe you've been pretty clever. You've hide it. You've, provide, you've made it private. Nobody knows. You're pretty slick. You're pretty it's clever. But it's there. And nobody knows. But you. Don't you overestimate God's patience. And don't you underestimate the tragedy of you keep messing with this sin. And maybe tonight you have sinned. And you've been caught or exposed. May I remind you the God who gave Samson a second chance. The God who has given all of us second chances has a second chance for you. You say, Pastor, I haven't been caught yet, but what do I need to do so I can get this taken care of? Pastor, I have been caught. What can I do? The same thing for both of you. Confess, repent, and carry on. In the Rose Bowl game of 1929, a University of Southern California player picked up a fumble and began to run with it toward the goal line. The only problem as he ran toward the goal line is he got mixed up and he was running toward the wrong goal line. Well, one of the players on his team was faster than him. And about the 10-yard line, just before he would have gotten to his goal line, he got tackled. He finally realized that he was running the wrong way. He went back to the sidelines. He felt humiliated, shamed, embarrassed. 70,000 people in that stands were hollering, but they weren't hollering because he was running with the fumble. They were hollering because he was stupid and going the wrong way. Well, he went back at halftime, and he was sitting on the bench. And he said, Coach, I don't want to go back in. I don't want to go back in. I, I, I can't go back out there. Everybody in that crowd, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to point me out. They're going to do this, and they're going to do that. And, and the coach was a very wise man. He said, you get back in the game. You're going back in the game. You're starting the second half. The game's not over yet. Play to the end. And I say that to you. Don't allow a sin to be a mortal defeat. Come back. The game's not over yet. 
There's another half to play. Redeem yourself. What do we do with sin? Whether you've hidden it or whether it's been exposed, number one, you recognize it. God cannot deal with the person unless they recognize what they've done is sinful. You must recognize that. Remember, Samson couldn't made excuses, didn't he? What a shame to let that good honey go to waste. What a shame not to participate in the, the customary activities of this marriage feast. What a shame not to be lying with this woman. And even though we're having sex, and even though it's immoral, we love one another. You see, we can always justify things. And we do. We do a wonderful job at it. Recognize that you have sinned. You've sinned against yourself. You've sinned against others. But most importantly, who have you sinned against? God. All sin is against God. You need to recognize it. I'm guilty. I did it. I'm guilty. Secondly, you must repent of it. This is what we do. We recognize it, then we repent of it. Repentance means I'm sorry. I'm sorry enough that I'm going to stop it. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make amends for it. That's what repentance is. It's not just saying I'm sorry and keep doing it. It's I'm sorry, I'm stopping it. I'm stopping it now. I'm stopping it completely. And then I'm going to make amends. Whatever that means, I'll do it. Then it means we release. We recognize it. I did it. We repent of it. i sorry for it. I stop it. And then we release it. It's over. When God forgives, God what? Forgets. You need to forgive, and you need to as much as you can forget. Because Satan is the accuser, and he constantly accuses us of sin that's already been covered under the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. When you've been washed in the blood, your sin goes into the sea of forgetfulness and God carries it away as far as the east is from west and He remembers it no more. And Satan comes back and he whispers in our ears, you're not forgiven. God hasn't forgiven you. He accuses us. When you have recognized it and repented of it, let it go. Let it go. It's the past. Let it go. The consequences might remain. There might be penalties and things you have to deal with. But God and you are right now. Let it go. And then rebound from it lastly. Recognize it. Repent of it. Release it. And then rebound from it. Don't wallow anymore. The game's not over. Get back in the game and finish strong. It's not over till it's over. The God of a second chance takes a lot of second chance people and makes them great again. 
you go through your Bible, you'll find there's a lot of folks there that fell flat on their face. Aren't you glad God gave them a second chance? Aren't you glad God gave you a second chance? Aren't you glad God gave me a second chance? God will do it. He'll rebound from it. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.